Hi, this is Jeff Keilinger, the former general manager of the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Trinex, Trust in What's Next. By Mentor APM, Intelligent Asset Management Software Built for Water. By Woodard & Curran, High-Quality Consulting Engineering, Science, and Operations Service. By Intera, Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Waterworks Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. And by Black and Veatch, Building a World of Difference. This is Session 240. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Well, hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you for joining me. We have a fantastic show for you today. Jim Lockhead, the now-retired CEO of Denver Water, shares his thoughts on water leadership, the challenges facing the Colorado River, and much, much more in a wide-ranging interview. Jim does an amazing job and relates a lot of insightful information and unique perspectives. You will be a better person for listening to Jim's interview. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of every show. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by Trinex, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Terra, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black and & Veatch. That, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education. And I thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to please do me a favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsor companies, please thank your boss, thank your contact at the sponsor firm, And let them know how much you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks goes. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. The ever-important subscription would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Now it's time for the main event, the interview with Jim Lockhead, the former and now-retired CEO of Denver Water. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Jim, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, it's, I've, I've waited for this moment for a long time. I'm very excited to speak with you and hear about your journey through Denver Water. And as you uh, uh, are now viewing retirement very, very quickly, um, just for starters, could you tell us a little about your background and how you even came to the water sector? Yeah, retirement is right around the corner, and it's kind of a strange feeling, uh, especially as I look back on uh, how I started in in water. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, 
around the ocean and always had an affinity for water. And that translated to uh, environmental activism and just an interest in environmental issues. I majored in, in environmental biology in um, college and in law school began clerking for uh, a law firm that practiced water law and so immediately went into uh, water law in western Colorado and have been through probably, I guess, four careers um, culminating in Denver water. Um, started off as a water lawyer in western Colorado representing everything from farmers and ranchers to developers to municipalities and counties uh, on land use and water issues. Um, became involved in water policy through the state of Colorado and the Colorado Water Conservation Board, began representing Colorado on interstate Colorado River issues in the early 1990s, um, and then was appointed by Governor Romer to lead the Colorado Department of Natural Resources, which was a fantastic phase of my career, uh, being involved in natural resource issues and water all over the state of Colorado. Um, when I left that position, I went back into private um, practice and began a, a career of water rights issues uh, all over the United States. I was involved mostly in big river negotiations, building off of my uh, representation on Colorado River issues. So I was involved in um, the development of recommendations that led to a uh, compact among the eight Great Lakes states. I was involved in hydropower and endangered species issues in the Snake River Basin in Idaho. I mediated uh, settlement of a dispute on the Pecos River among water users to achieve compliance with their decree uh, in New Mexico versus Texas. Um, I was involved on behalf of the Southern Nevada Water Authority on um, international issues with Mexico. Um, but the thing I missed in in that phase of my career was kind of the sense of mission and direction um, and the really the the working relationships with people in an organization that I'd had at the Department of Natural Resources. And so uh, when the uh, CEO job at Denver Water came available, I was um, really excited for the opportunity to lead an organization and expand my horizons in the in the water area. So, um, it's been a it's been a great career. Yeah, it sounds like it. And sitting from afar, uh, you've you've your varied uh, background, I'm sure, has helped you dramatically in in that process of leading Denver Water. Do you have any thoughts on on how that that background with multiple different perspectives kind of helped you in your role at Denver Water? Well, I think that a water utility, I, I look at a water utility as, as beyond just the, the bricks and mortar and delivering water. Um, a water utility really sustains a community. Um, the Denver metropolitan area would not be here literally, but for the water system and the vision of the people who develop that water system uh, that serves our community. And, and we have a tremendously diverse community um, that needs to be engaged in, in water, which is so important in the West. Um, we have an extensive reach uh, in our system uh, that goes uh, across the continental divide into Western Colorado um, through several counties in, in Colorado. Um, 
a, about a 4,000 mile watershed, a square mile watershed that encompasses uh, federal land, state land, private land. Um, and so the region scope of our operations, uh, I think, um, compels us to engage with the community, engage regionally, engage on an interstate basis. Um, and I think that the background that that I brought to this job uh, enabled me to lead this organization forward um, toward a number of initiatives um, in collaboration uh, regionally, um, across state lines, nationally, um, and even um, led me to having conversations worldwide with other other utilities and other other countries that where we could share experiences and and learn. And I think we've really positioned Denver Water as a a global water leader as a result. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, so so let's bring it back to what we talked about very at the early on in terms of uh, your impending retirement. Why why are you stepping away now? What 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 has driven your decision to retire? Well, I, I, I view the job of a CEO as not a career, um, but a, a time. Um, and as part of that time, I think you need to decide uh, that it's time to move on. Um, there's a certain shelf life, I think, to a CEO. Um, I feel that I have accomplished everything that I was hired to do uh, when I was fr- first brought to, to Denver Water. Um, We've gotten through the pandemic. We have a board that has been in place for um, two or three years now that is stable um, and ready to lead the organization going forward. You know, as in any job, uh, bringing a board up to speed and learning the organization takes a lot of time. And so I think we have that at this point in time. Um, And at, at a certain point, there's just a time when it's it's great to have fresh blood, new thinking, and and new direction moving forward to meet the incredible challenges that we're going to face in the future. So I just I felt that I, personally I was ready to uh, move on to something else, and the organization is in a great spot right now to uh, absorb a change of leadership um, and kind of look at developing that new vision. Great. So what what makes a good water leader? If, if that's if it's time for the a new water leader to step forward, what what's your thoughts on what makes a good water? I, well, I think good good water leadership just translates to um, good leadership in general. It's not just uh, limited to the water sector. Um, I think that having um, integrity, respect for the people that you're leading, being able to listen and be empathetic. Uh, to be able to collaborate, to develop skills in um, uh, empowerment and prioritization, uh, communicating with the organization, developing trust. I mean, those are all, I think, hallmarks of good leadership that um, transcend the water sector, but um, incredibly important as a water leader as well. Yeah. Do you see any gaps in, uh, in, in water leadership? And if you do, how, how can we fill those gaps? And I'm talking obviously not in your leadership or in a specific individual, but in the industry in general. Yeah. Um, people, I, I've been struck by the passion of people involved in, in water, whether it's water utilities or um, any other aspect of water or water policy. Um, 
it, the, the the emotion and the passion that people bring to this sector are just uh, it, it's really unique and I think we face a challenge with succession planning, with attracting new talent, with continuing to diversify um, the, you know, what was a sector that was, um, you know, not that many years ago dominated by older white men, um, I think continues to be a challenge that we face. People involved, particularly in the in public utilities, um, certainly are not here for the pay. Um, they're here for the the, the mission uh, and the passion that they bring to the job of service to their community. And I think instilling that um, ethic uh, throughout the industry continues to be important to building um, new talent and water leadership. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And because we, we need to backfill a lot of the folks that are retiring from water leadership positions. Uh, what what do you think makes for good training for aspiring water leaders? We've, um, at Denver Water, we've been very uh, conscious about um, undertaking a comprehensive leadership training program for our employees. We call it um, H2O Leadership Academy. Um, and through that process, it's actually the the people attending the academy go through a year long process um, on leadership. And um, part of it is uh, understanding the business. Um, the The business of a water utility is actually incredibly complex. Um, it involves law, engineering, finance. Um, customer relations, IT, HR, administration, logistics, safety, environmental issues. I mean, the, the, the scope and breadth of uh, the talent and the skills that are necessary to run a water utility are pretty amazing. And as a result, we tend to be somewhat siloed, and it's important for um, leaders to understand the whole business, not just the section that they're working on. Um, so we work on that and we work on development of um, what we call leadership competencies, which are, are some of the characteristics that I mentioned in talking about a good water leader. Um, I think it's it also develops the culture of the organization on a unified basis. Um, every organization, um, like a water utility that's fairly large, we have 1,100 employees, um, develops subcultures. Uh, we have people who are out, out in the field who are um, on duty and and on the job uh, every day. We have other employees that are now hybrid post post pandemic. Um, so there's there's clearly a divide between field staff and um, employees in the administration building who are kind of working on on uh, more traditional office jobs and building the bridges and building uh, common leadership skills across that organization, I think is a continuous challenge that um, we've been very conscious to try and work on. Yeah, that sounds like a great program. I, I am curious, uh, you are a lawyer and some of the other water leaders that I've spoken with uh, are, are lawyers. For example, Jeff Keitlinger, John Ensminger, Robert Puente, and, and others. Um, do you think, I, I'm curious on your 
perspective on how your legal education and practice as a lawyer has impacted water leadership? Or at least your, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Your perception. Yeah, it is. It is interesting to see the, the shift. I think traditionally um, general managers or CEOs were again, older white men who have had come up through the ranks of the organization and a lot were engineers um, with a focus on operations, either construction or, or operations. And uh, particularly in the West, um, but I think more uh, what we will see is, is more nationally is a shift to uh, CEOs from other professions, including law and policy. And I think um, part of that is that we face a increasingly complex and rapidly developing regulatory environment um, that involves um, uh, political um, skill and negotiation. Um, in the West with climate change um, and increasing competition for water, there's an increasing need to engage, as I spoke before, more regionally um, as a utility and, and looking beyond just the operational aspects. And so I think in particular, um, having a law background uh, gives a person a breadth of skills necessary to um bridge those you obviously need to have a clear understanding of um, the technical aspects of of water and management and construction and um, a lot of those do intersect with law as well so I, yeah i think that 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 trend is not inappropriate to have um, lawyers running water utilities so let's go back to when you started at denver water as ceo did you get any advice? And uh, what was, you know, what was that advice that you got when you started as the CEO of Denver? Well, I didn't, I didn't really get a piece of advice per se. Uh, as I look back on when I first started, um, and what I was charged to do by the board that hired me uh, were a couple of red flags. Um, couple of comments that that employees made to me that really stuck out. One comment that uh, an employee made to me was that this place runs itself. And another comment that an employee made, it was a, a longtime employee out in the field. And I was out visiting that site as a brand new CEO. And um, he told me, don't screw it up. And I, I took that to mean, leave me alone. And um, I took both those those comments as kind of a challenge um, that uh, I needed to lead this organization toward a different culture of, um, of engagement and collaboration and stewardship and uh, transparency and accountability and good communications. Um, it, it really kind of solidified uh, what the what the board that hired me told me to do in terms of my charge um, to bring change to the organization. That, that's uh, some interesting, almost inverse advice that you got from the uh, the employees in the field. Um, right, right. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, that that's very interesting because when I first started in the utility industry, representing utilities, you know, the, the 
the mantra was stay out of the papers. You know, no press is, is a good thing. And over the years, I've seen that almost flip where utilities are now doing exactly the way you approach the job, right? Being more inclusive and outreach and communicative and things like that. So I think, I think you're, you're wise to, uh, to move in the direction you moved. Well, it's, it's interesting because some of the folklore at, at Denver water when I first got here was, um, it was just kind of be average to exactly your point, be average, be under the radar, just kind of be middle of the pack. And, um, I, I did a couple of things. First of all, we didn't have a strategic plan at all that the organization followed that, that drove the organization. So that was the first thing I did was say, we're going to have a strategic plan that we're going to use to drive our operations. Um, and we didn't have a culture of continuous improvement. So we began uh, a journey toward developing lean, which is, was a, is an efficiency initiative that was developed by Toyota manufacturing that can be applied to just about anything. And we are still a strongly continuous um, improvement culture as a result. And then I, um, I developed this kind of theme, I guess, that we are not going to be mediocre or average or under the radar. Uh, we're going to be the best water utility in the nation. And that was our um, the vision that guided our strategic plan. And um, so it was a big cultural shift for this organization. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, you obviously changed the culture of the organization uh, since you joined, did the, did the role of CEO change at all during the, during, during your tenure? I mean, interested in that perspective. I think that, um, well, first of all, the, the board that hired me, I, it was originally um, the manager of Denver water and, and they renamed it CEO in order to um, communicate kind of a change in the role um, toward a more activist um, leadership to to bring cultural change um, to the organization, and um, so that was that was definitely part of it was was um, creating a role for a more more engaged and I guess un, that would create an environment for for more innovation, more entrepreneurialism, uh, better collaboration, uh, better more transparency and accountability. Uh, for the rate um, payers' money that we're spending, um, so I think all of that was was part of that in terms of the change in the role. Yeah. So uh, let me ask about Colorado. Obviously, is not uh, does not exist in a vacuum from a water perspective. That's part of the Colorado River Basin, where you have to deal with other states and the, the compact Colorado River Compact. Uh, what has been your biggest surprise in dealing with other states? Um, and I've had the I've had the I guess honor of of being able to deal with state governments not only in seven states in the Colorado River Basin but in other parts of my career with state agencies and, and governments pretty much across the United States and not so much a surprise but. Um, it is 
um, developing an understanding of the various economies, cultures, and politics in each state because they're all different. Um, and I was I was really struck when I was um, head of the Department of Natural Resources in Colorado that uh, of the diversity uh, of cultures and economies and politics among the 64 counties in Colorado or different sub basins in each big river basin um, and between east and west. And those dynamics apply to um, to other states as well and are important in developing relationships and working on common solutions. Uh, very interesting. So we're, you're dealing with other states right now on the Colorado River issues. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on? I'm going to use an inartful term, fixing the Colorado River uh, and its the, the governance. Yeah. Any thoughts on? Yeah, that? yeah. It's it's going to be a huge challenge. Obviously, we're in the middle of a crisis, despite um, good uh, precipitation this last winter. Um, the reservoirs are at historically low uh, elevations, and the states have been asked to reduce demands. We have a situation where we have a, a fairly strict, strict hierarchy of priorities in the lower basin um, within California and, and between California and Arizona in particular um, that is coming into conflict with uh, the needs of the 40 million people who are, are now dependent on that river, who are have come in kind of later in the game than those senior priorities um, in large irrigation districts. And so you have this conflict between uh, these large irrigation districts that have senior priorities that uh, were developed historically um, and they have their own cultures and economies and um, important businesses um, that are dependent on those priorities. And so how we accommodate um, the growth that has occurred and will continue to occur in the basin and uh, sustain continued agricultural and food production and protect the environment in the face of climate change is a, and it's just an enormous challenge. And the the hierarchies that were established, the priorities that, that are established, if you follow that scenario in a declining river that was not anticipated at the time, it's not. Ju it's just not an acceptable result. It's a result that, that that can't happen. So we need to be working together to figure out how we can equitably and flexibly uh, manage the river um, into the future. Uh, as flows continue to decline, um, and it's just a new reality that is going to require strong leadership, uh, both at the federal level uh, as well as at the state level, um, and is going to be enormously complex, disruptive, and expensive. Yeah, I think I don't practice out there, but that is that's my observation sitting from afar as well. So I think you're spot on there. Um, as we kind of turn to turn the focus to uh, be kind of reflective on your career at Denver water. 
what's been your proudest accomplishment uh, and what, what would you learn from it? Um, well, as I mentioned, I've had, I guess, four different careers and it's been, um, I, I don't think there's a singular kind of accomplishment that I'm proud of because I can, I can look to each of those phases and, and think about a number of accomplishments in each of them. But I think overall, um, one of the great things to me about the water sector is, um, are the people involved. And I mentioned the passion and uh, that people bring to the water sector. Um, and so I think the greatest to me satisfaction has been the ability to make relationships with, with people um, in the water sector, in natural resources um, across the United States. I had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to work with people in Canada and Mexico as well. Um, in the in the Middle East and other parts of the of the world, um, and that those relationships to me uh, are are the thing that I uh, the, the the things that I really look back on and um, with satisfaction, and it's really been an honor um, to have been able to make those relationships. Let me ask the other side of that coin is that we've all had situations that haven't worked out exactly as we wanted. Do you have a situation that comes to mind that worked out a little differently than you had anticipated and, and how you learned from that? Um, yeah, I think that we all have those kinds of situations where um, if we had to do over again, and I've had, I've had several of those, I think that um, as I look back on, my leadership at Denver Water uh, and, and some of the things that I, I could have done better or wish I had been able to do better. Um, I think one of those has has been uh, to engage more. Um, it's very difficult for a CEO to be out talking to employees um, and really understanding what they do. It's such a broad organization and you're obviously trying to prioritize your own time. Um, but I, I really wish that I'd been able to engage more. And that is something I think that is important and probably something I, I didn't do as well as I, uh, I could have. I think we're all, we're all on that boat. I feel the same way sometimes. Let me ask you this about, do you have any, any words of advice uh, that you're willing to share publicly for the, uh, the next CEO? Well, at the beginning, I mentioned that, you know, I don't think being a CEO is a career and uh, I certainly have no interest in, in kind of just leading a bureaucracy. Um, so I think it's really important for a CEO or a general manager or really any leader um, to decide what you want to achieve, kind of where you want to go, what's your vision, and then work like crazy to accomplish it. And um, then once you have, be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to move on and hand this off to somebody else. And uh, I think that that perspective uh, allows a CEO to um, move an organization forward and, and leave it better than when they came into the position. That almost sounds like a leave behind message, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll, I will give you the opportunity to, uh, 
to provide a leave behind message if you want. I mean, you've been phenomenal today. I've, I've, I've really appreciated the time and, you know, it has been well, likewise, I mean, I, as I look forward, um, the water industry, uh, just faces, uh, an enormous challenge, particularly with, with climate change. Um, and everything that that brings with it. Um, and I won't, I won't go through all the kind of the, the changes that are going to occur, but they're, they're clearly occurring more quickly than I think any of us had anticipated. I look at the Colorado River, for example, and, and I'm just shocked at the speed at which things turned. Um, and that's going to happen more and more quickly. So it's going to mean that we're going to have to think differently. Um, and more collaboratively together as a water sector as to how we can work together and leverage uh, each other in meeting those challenges as we serve our communities. Yeah. Well, great, great words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Jim. You've been phenomenal, like I said earlier. Uh, and I wish you all the best in retirement. And for those, for those folks who might want to learn more about you or more about Denver Water, where can they go to get that information? Well, they can certainly email me. I'm, I'm not looking to retire per se. I'm looking to do other things. Um, so if anybody has a job out there, um, <laughs> send me an email at uh, jim.lockett at denverwater.org. But our website um, is a great resource. Uh, we're on social media as well. So uh, follow us on social media. And um, we, we do make a great effort to try and communicate with uh, our customers and engage with the, the world outside. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jim. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It was such an honor to speak with Jim. I mean, I really believe that learning from those that have traveled the road already is so important. Jim is such a good leader and I hope people learn from his advice and his example that he set while uh, manning the helm at Denver Wall. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That, of course, is our landing page on Bluefield Research's website. As I've said before, the Water Values LLC and Bluefield Research LLC are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement, and as part of that, they're nice enough to give us a home on the web. So thanks. If you still use Twitter or I should, should I say, if you still use X, you can also X about the podcast using the hashtag water, value, water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter at that aforementioned landing page as well. Well, thank you again for tuning in and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our fantastic sponsors. Sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include Trinix, Mentor APM, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, and Black and Veatch. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.